The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Well, we're really glad you're with us this morning. And, and you know, as we get started on this new series on prayer, I, I want to ask a quick question. How are your New Year's resolutions going? They're going well? They're going really well? Anybody already broken them, given up? Good for you. All right. Yeah, I... I don't know. One of the things I think is helpful about the New Year's time is it causes us to evaluate where we are. We evaluate a lot of different parts of our lives that we probably ignore the rest of the time. Like if you think about uh, your health, for example, that's just probably a type uh, time of year where you evaluate where you are health-wise and whether you need to exercise more. Or, you know, I know I've made some decisions too. I've evaluated my life. I recognize that I need, it's unhealthy to keep more than three frozen pizzas in my freezer at a time. And so I'm making some changes. And, and I think even in our family. Like I, Angela and I have talked about it. We've evaluated our family. We need more date nights, uh, but babysitters are expensive. And so does anybody know any babysitters that offer punch cards? You know what I mean? Like a rewards program or whatever. That would be really great for us. But you know, as we evaluate our lives, uh, a lot of times we evaluate spiritual things going on in our lives. And, and so for me, I know for me, I've started this year with this evaluation of my own prayer life, which if we think about things that are worthy of our time to think about and evaluate and, and, and talk to the Lord about, our prayer life's a big deal. Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And so today I want to ask the question, why do we not pray? Why do we not pray? And, I, and maybe, maybe it's a simple answer. Maybe it's we don't know how. I mean, you think about what prayer is. It's this conversation between us and God, right? Well, if I were to get off the stage right now and come to you and start talking to you and we start to have a conversation, what happens? I speak, you speak. You speak, I speak. You speak, and I'm waiting for my turn to speak. And then I speak more and more, and then you get annoyed and walk away. Like, that's how conversations with me work. But there's this back and forth there. What's prayer? I speak to God and then I listen and he doesn't speak audibly back. It's kind of weird. So maybe we don't know how this works or, or, you know, maybe you've heard some people pray and you've gone, wow, that's incredible. That prayer is incredible. My prayers don't sound like that at all. You know, sometimes when I start praying, I'll be talking to God and then all of a sudden I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch. And then I apologize to God and I start talking to him again. And then I start uh, talking about like whatever happened to Sting's first band, you know what I mean? That he was with, like, are they still playing somewhere? Are they okay? Is the bassist alive? And then, okay, God, I'm sorry that I'm over here. And so is that okay? Like my mind wanders. Does that mean I don't know how to pray? Is something wrong? And, you know, we're going to be talking uh, next week a lot about that. We're going to answer that question of how. What, is, what does prayer look like? What's permissible? What's not? And all of that. But today I want to deal with some deeper motivations for why we're prayerless at times. And these motivations, I think that, that we are, for me, I, and I can really speak for myself, but I bet it's true for a lot of us. I, for me, these are motivations that... Um, can hide within me, you know, that I can deceive myself, that I don't even know that they're there, those types of motivations. And so I want us to be really honest and I want the Lord to help us today. Lord, would you help us today? Would you open our eyes so that we could see these realities in our lives? Amen. And so here we go. Our first motivation towards prayerlessness is we don't believe prayer does any good. We don't believe prayer does any good. Now, we would never say that. No, we would never say that. We are good Christians, right? And we come into church and we're all about church stuff and Jesus and prayer and the Bible and all of that. I would never say that, but deep down, we truly believe this. You know, I've, I've had some, some moments in my life when I look back on my, my walk with the Lord that have been really just, just 
paradigm shifting for me. Some moments where I had some encounter or, or, or some realization, some revelation of God to me that really changed the way I thought about him or spoken about him. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's an idea. I don't know. But, but, but there's this one thing that I encountered of God when I was in seminary that changed the way I thought about everything. And, the, and here's what I encountered. It was his sovereignty. It was thinking about God's sovereignty. If you say, what in the world is his sovereignty? Let me give you a definition. This, this comes from um, John Piper. He wrote this. God has the rightful authority, the freedom, the wisdom, and the power to bring about everything that he intends to happen. And therefore, everything he intends to come about does come about, which means God plans and governs all things. That's what God's sovereignty is about. He plans and governs all things. He has complete, uh, complete control over all things. And this comes from Isaiah 46. Look at it with me, if you would. Look at beginning in verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There's no other. I am God, and there's none like me. So no one has the authority I have. No one has the, the freedom I have. No one has the power I have or the wisdom I have. Keep going, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done god declares the end from the beginning he knows what's going to happen is it because he's some like soothsayer some fortune teller no keep reading saying my counsel shall stand and i will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east the man of my counsel from a far country i have spoken and i will bring it to pass i have purposed and i will do it everything comes to pass as he says because why because the counsel, his counsel shall stand. He will accomplish his will. Everything comes to pass like he said, because he does it. Because he has infinite wisdom and infinite power to bring it about. That's why Psalm 115.3 is true. Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. So we've learned and we've established that God's sovereignty is real, that God's control is complete, that he has complete power, he has complete wisdom, and everything happens as, as he uh, brings it to happen, right? Like he has this incredible ability and power that no one else has to bring everything in accordance to the counsel of his will, that he accomplishes all that he wants to accomplish. He's in complete control, and that is good news, and that makes me sleep well at night, that makes me joyful in the morning, that God is in complete control. However, now with this understanding, we've got our first problem with prayer. If this is true, that God's in complete control, that his sovereignty is unmatched, then why do we pray? What's the point? I mean, the game's fixed, right? God accomplishes all he wants to accomplish from the beginning. He sees the end and he brings about that end as he pleases. What's the point? What's the point of prayer? If that's the case, well, there's this really perplexing chapter in the scriptures, and it's in Exodus 32. And so Moses has gone up on the mountain. He's met with God. God has given him the, uh, he's given him the law, and, and he's spending this time with him. And, and just all this stuff, this great stuff has already happened. And while Moses has now gone back up to the mountain to be with the Lord, and he's spending time with the Lord, uh, God's people have now, uh, they have built a, a golden calf, this image. They've taken the gold that God has miraculously given them as they left Egypt because he miraculously led them out of Egypt. They've taken that gold, that wonderful gift God gave them, and they made a, a calf, a golden calf to worship. 
And so instead of worshiping God, that's what they're spending their time doing. God knows about it, of course. And it says, the scripture says that he is incensed. And here's what he says in Exodus 32, verse 9. I have seen these people, and they're stiff-necked people, he says to Moses. Now leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. So God sees what they're doing. He's incensed at what they're doing. He says, you know what, Moses? I'm going to go ahead and wipe them out, and I will continue my promise to Abraham through you. I'm going to build a great nation out of you. And Moses appeals to God. He appeals to God for mercy. That's what he does in verse 11 through 12. And guess what God does? Here's what it says there in verse 14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. God listened to Moses and brought mercy instead of wrath. This is a troubling passage for God's sovereignty, right? I mean, God listened to Moses, and so I guess what God wanted to accomplish, he ultimately didn't accomplish, right? Because Moses changed his mind. I don't think that's true. Let's think about that. Was God going to act against his promise to Abraham to make a great nation? Was he going to act against that promise by wiping out Israel? No. What did he say to what did he say to Moses? Moses, I'll continue that promise through you. I'll build a great nation out of you. So God's ultimate purpose was going to be intact if he wiped them all out. When mercy, when Moses asked for mercy and God gave it, did that ultimately mess up his plan? No, because God continued his redemptive plan through the nation of Israel to bring all people to himself. He continued that anyway. So whether he offered mercy by, because of what Moses prayed, or whether he didn't out of his own uh, justified wrath. God's plans were not threatened at all. He still accomplishes what he accomplishes. So how do we make sense of Moses' prayer and his interaction with God and God's ultimate uh, uh, sovereignty here? Here's how we make sense of it. It's in one word, participation, participation. Listen to this. God is allowing Moses to participate in his work through prayer. That is crazy. God could have, God could have continued his plan of his redemptive work by wiping out all of the people of Israel and they deserved it by wiping all of them out and then building this great nation through Moses. He could have continued his work, but Moses prayed and God says, you know what? I'll use you in what I'm doing. Fine, Moses. And he brings his prayers in and he takes Moses' prayer. He takes Moses' request and he allows Moses to participate in, in what God is doing. That's crazy that God allows Moses to do that. So think about this. If God does what pleases him, always, he always does what pleases him, he always accomplishes what he sets out to do, and God allows our prayers to affect what he does, then it must be true that it pleases God for us to participate in his work through prayer. It pleases God to allow us to participate in his work through through prayer. How in the world does he do that? Because God is infinitely wise and infinitely powerful. He can take our participation and shape it into his purposes. He can take our prayers and shape them into his purposes. Think about it. He has infinite wisdom. So when we want him to do something, when we bring something to him, God, would you please do this? Could you, could, could you please help me with this? That is not a problem for him. He is infinitely wise. He knows how to take that request and he knows how to shape that into his purposes. Not only that, he's infinitely powerful. It is not a problem for him. 
It's not a problem for him to take that request. He has the wisdom. He says, you know, this needs to go here and this needs to go there. This is not a problem for him where he goes, well, I really like to work that out, but no, it's just too big. No, God is infinitely wise and infinitely powerful. He can take our prayers and work them together. That means that God has the power and wisdom to use our prayers as he sees fit to do what we could never imagine. God has the power and wisdom to use our prayers as he sees fit to do what we could never imagine. And if you don't believe me, let's keep looking at more scriptures. Look at this one in James 4, 2. You do not have because you do not ask. What is that saying? God has work that he wants to do for you. He has blessings he wants to pour out on you and you don't have them because you haven't asked. You're not participating in what he's doing. Look here in James 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and there to pray over him. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What's the implication? That there is healing reserved for those who would ask God for it in prayer. That means that God, again, he will accomplish his ultimate purpose, whether he does it through healing because you asked or whether he doesn't heal because you didn't ask. He will accomplish his purpose, but he gives us an opportunity to, to participate in what he's doing. Check this out in Colossians 4.3. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word. Through prayer, God could be moved to give them more opportunities for the gospel. If you don't pray that prayer, are God's hands tied as far as bringing dead people to life? No, but you could miss out on an opportunity to participate in what he's doing by bringing dead people to life. God has the power and the wisdom to use our prayers as he sees fit to do things that we could never imagine. He allows us to participate. Why would he do this? It's the same reason why yesterday we're, we're, you know, it's way too cold to go outside. God bless you for being here today. I almost didn't show up. It's so cold cold outside, but yesterday we stayed inside and we built their Lego sets. I have family members who hate me. And so they got all my kids Lego sets uh, for Christmas. And so yesterday we had not opened those yet. So yesterday we opened them up and I'm building them. The same reason why I allow my children to, to participate in that process of building those Lego sets, even though for me, it's one of the most frustrating things in the world. Like, no, don't touch that piece. No, don't put that piece there. Oh my goodness. Right? Like the same reason I allowed them to participate It's the same reason God allows me to participate. Why? Because I want their joy to be full. I want, I love them and I want them to be a part of what I'm doing. I don't want to go build a Lego set by myself and my kids be over here like that. That's not fun for me. I want them to be there. I love them. I want them to be, to participate in my work in the same way. God loves us. And so not only does he have the power and wisdom to take our prayers and to, and to shape them into things and to do things with them we can never imagine. He does it because he loves us. Isn't that incredible? God again has the the power and wisdom to use our prayers as he sees fit to do what we could never imagine because he loves us. That's why he's called us to participate in his work. And you see it in the scriptures. You see from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, what did God do? God loved Adam. God loved Eve. And so what does he do? He gives them work to do. He created this incredible thing, this wonderful creation, and then he gave them work to do in it. Why? Because he loves them. I want you to participate in my work because I love you. When we look in Ephesians and we see that we've been prepared for good works, why would God give us good works to do? He can do all of them because he loves us and he wants us to participate in his work because that's where our joy will be made full. 
And so God loves you and he has the power and wisdom to use your prayers for your family as he sees fit. And he loves you and he has the power and the wisdom to use your prayers for your career or your friend's health or your spiritual life or your finances as he sees fit to do incredible things. That's why he allows us to participate. He loves us. I mean, I think about what our church is experiencing right now. We met together at the start of December and we prayed. And what did we pray for? God, would you do things in our church and through our church over the Advent season that we can't do? What has God done since then? Countless people have had their lives changed since then. We've done baptisms every Sunday since then. Why? Because Grant's preaching's really good. Because Christian's such a good singer, right? Now, why? Because God's doing something we can't do. We said, God, would you please do something? And, and, it, and it pleases the heart of God to look at our church and say, yes, I want you to participate in my work. Yes, I'll show up. Yes, I'll do a work here. Yes, I will blow your minds because he has the wisdom and the power to take our little prayers and to work them into things that we couldn't even begin to imagine. So what good? do our prayers do they allow us to participate in God's work and if that's not enough it also connects us to his power you know last week we talked about a healing in Mark chapter 9 where this man brought his son to the disciples to be healed he had these seizures and and uh, the disciples couldn't heal him so Jesus Jesus heals the the boy and and has this incredible moment with the father and and the disciples come to him later and they go, okay, this is a little embarrassing. We've been casting out demons and healings and all kinds of other stuff. Why couldn't we do this? And Jesus' response was, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So God's power to do this work through them was reserved. It wasn't going to happen unless they prayed. Their prayer would connect them to God's power to see God do this work. And, and so I had to ask myself then, what have I been trying to accomplish in my own power when God's power is available to me? And I know God's power is available to me. Do you know why? Because I have the Holy Spirit. And I know God's power is available to you if, you if you're a follower of Jesus. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit. And so what have I been trying to do? What have I been trying to accomplish without the power of God that's available to me? Because I don't ask, because I don't talk to him. What is it? And you know, I, I, it's pretty clear to me, one of the things that's been all over me the past couple of weeks is uh, it's been the way I parent. It's been the way I parent to my children. There's this, this book that's been really influential. It's gonna be influential for this series. It's an incredible book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And he wrote in there, he, he was reading a prayer journal uh, and, and he was talking about he prays for his kids every morning. And, and he read in a prayer journal like 20-something years ago, an entry he wrote. And it, it just said this, Oh, the evil that enters my home when I don't pray for my children in the morning. And his point was that, that his children, like, he wants the Lord to do work in their heart that he can't do. The selfishness he sees in his kid, the prides that he sees in his, in his kids, the, the fights and all these other things that are motivated by the sinful nature, he would every morning ask God to do a work in them because he couldn't do that. And this light bulb went off. Every morning, I've been trusting my parenting skills. I've been trusting my spouse. I've been trusting that my kids just aren't that bad to try to handle all of their fights. But the reality is the reason they fight, the reason that they're selfish is because their hearts are, are broken. Their hearts need Jesus. Their hearts have sin in them. And I can't touch that. 
I could read every parenting blog that's out there. I could read every parenting book that's out there. I could go to every seminar. I could call all of you who that, have, that have raised kid after kid after kid. And it wouldn't matter because I can't touch their hearts. And so every day I would get frustrated because I'm waking up going, God, what, what's going on here? I'm trying my best. We're, we're disciplining our best. We're doing whatever. But I wasn't asking God to do something. I wasn't asking for God's power. That was available to me the whole time. I wasn't asking God to do something. I was doing it on my own. I can handle this. And it's just not true. And I tell you what, just in this past uh, week or so, or week and a half of just praying for my kids' hearts, praying every morning that God would do something that I can't do. God, would you touch my children's hearts? Would you remove that selfishness? God, would you give them hearts of kindness and patience for one another? Would you do something I can't do for them? There's been a change. Why? Because God's power is available. But I haven't been doing it by that. I've been doing it by my own. And we've already read that scripture. You don't have because you don't ask. So ask. So what have you been trying to accomplish in your own power? When God's power is available to you, what do you need to ask for? Have you asked for wisdom at work? Have you asked for his solution to this terrible problem you're facing instead of trying to figure it out on your own? Have you asked for his work in your children's lives? Have you asked for his revival in your church and in your community? His power is available to those who ask. His power is available to those who ask. So what good do our prayers do? Well, our prayers allow us to participate in God's work and also they connect us to his power when we ask. And the third thing prayer does is that God changes us through prayer. I love the word of God. I really do. You know, when I was a kid growing up in in church and uh, we didn't have like children's church or anything we went to. So I was in church listening to Dr. Rogers uh, just just very gently just rocking me to sleep with his voice every Sunday uh, and, and, and sitting in the service. And we'd, we'd color and coloring books and whatever. And I remember my parents, like, they gave me a Bible. And, and that was the thing. Like, if I ever, I knew that if I ever wanted a toy, you know what I mean? Hey, mom, dad, would you go buy me a toy? I knew the answer to that. Uh, no. I, that's, a, that's a mama question, all right? That was a mama and papa question. Can you buy me a toy? Whatever you want, right? Like, they were the genies. My parents, not so. But I knew if I told my parents, like, hey, could I get a new Bible? That was a, that was a, yes, absolutely, absolutely you could. And so I remember, like, having all these little Bibles as a kid, and uh, I had no interest in them whatsoever. Like, I just, I wasn't interested in them. I remember we used King James, um, because apparently that's how Jesus talked. And uh, so we, we used King James, and, and I don't know, verily, verily, I said unto thee, uh, I'm going to sleep now. Like, they just didn't, it just didn't move me. I don't know, I didn't understand it. And I remember getting older and then, like, having this realization that God speaks to me through this thing. And, and so, as an adult, it's been so, so important to me. And I really love it. And I love music. I really do. And I, I love singing. And we just went to uh, Passion in Atlanta, the Passion Conference. And uh, Louis Giglio puts that on. And, and so you had like some of the biggest worship leaders in all of the world right now. Like you had Hillsong United out of Australia. Um, they were, I think we're doing one of their songs this morning. They, uh, they were there. Uh, like they showed up from Australia and uh, they, they, they led us. And like, I really loved it. It was great. I, the music was great. But for me, for me, we could do like a song and then get straight to the scripture and I'm good. Because there's something about like the word of God that connects to me. 
Like every time I heard one of the speakers, it didn't matter that we stayed up. Uh, you know, I was with college students, and so college students, um, they, are, they, they are mature, uh, but they do resemble middle schoolers in a lot of ways. And uh, one of the ways is we went and ate pizza at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, one time, and I was like, I feel like I'm going to die now. And uh, so, so it didn't matter how late we stayed up and how early we had to get up. Like when, when I hear people teaching the word of God, there's something, it just, it just fires me up. It fires me up and, and, and God speaks to me. And I had some incredible moments. But you know, even though that's true, oftentimes, I, if I'm honest and I, and I look back at my own life, oftentimes when God does the most life change for me, it's when I submit myself to him in prayer. When I just open up my heart to him and I say, it's yours, you do what you need to, often it's in those moments where he does the greatest works in my life. Like often that's when God humbles me, is in prayer. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, there's this part where Jesus is teaching us to pray and he says, pray like this, give us today our daily bread. And I'm thinking, you just said early, like you literally just said like three lines earlier, that God knows what we need before we ask it. So why am I talking about my daily bread? Like you, you promised to provide. Why am I asking? Because it keeps me dependent. It keeps me humble. It keeps me focused on, on my need for him. And when I'm admitting my need for him and I'm, and I'm trusting him, then, then that humbles me and it keeps me dependent upon him. And that happens in prayer. God humbles my pride, my prideful heart in prayer. It's in prayer that God comforts me. You know, there's a scripture in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every, uh, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's in those moments of great anxiety that the only way for me to access the comfort of God is for me to be honest with God. It's for me to bring all those concerns to him. And you know what happens? All my concerns magically disappear. No, that, that doesn't happen. When I, get, when I get really upset, if, if, my, if my kids are sick and I, and I just feel helpless and I, I feel like I can't help them at all and I, and I can't relieve anything for them at all and I'm upset about that, me bringing that to God doesn't automatically heal them. But you know what it does do? Here's what it says. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind. A peace that surpasses all understanding, God will give us. And how do we access it? Through prayer. We go to him with honest hearts about our worries, with honest hearts about our anxiety, with honest hearts about our doubts. And we bring those to God and God says, that's okay. I'll comfort your hearts in that moment. And I'll give you a peace that makes no sense. You ever experienced that? You've been in a difficult place. Someone's prayed with you in this, this peace that makes no sense. You walk out, the world still is messed up as it was as when you started to pray. But what happened? God gave you his peace. And that's what he gives us in prayer. It's oftentimes in prayer that God shapes and changes my desires. You know, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done. It's oftentimes that when I'm honest about what I want, about what, I, what my heart desires to the Lord, and I ask the Lord for it, that he will begin to shape and change what my heart wants. If, if you've never prayed like that, then maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you've prayed like that, you know what I'm talking about. We bring our requests to God. God, I want this. God, would you please make this happen for me? And what does he do? He takes our prayers and he gently begins to shape our hearts until ultimately my prayer is not so much about what I want, but God, would you do what's best for me? There's something he does there, and I don't quite know how he does it. I just know that he does. And there's this great illustration of that. I read this, this woman, Lisa Cotter, has a... Uh, 
has a blog she, she writes for, and, and she was writing about uh, she wanted to be pregnant. They had, her and her husband, they had had uh, two, two children already, and, and they, you know, when they want to get pregnant, they got pregnant, they had their children, and it was no big deal, and then they said, all right, third time around, let's, let's have a child, and, and uh, for some reason, they just couldn't, and they, they spent four years trying to get pregnant, and they went to doctor after doctor, and every doctor told them the same thing, we don't understand it. There's no reason you shouldn't be uh, getting pregnant. We, we, have, we don't know what to tell you. And so she's at the point where she's ready to give up, and her prayers for the Lord to make her pregnant, they were really empty and apathetic. She almost didn't even, wasn't even honest with the Lord anymore about her requests. But then she was encouraged by a friend of her to be honest in her request to the Lord and watch what he would do with her honesty. And here's what she wrote. I took those thoughts home with me and spent the next several months grappling with them. I began to get specific and did my best to be bold in my asking. I want another child, Lord. Bless us again. And the more I prayed, the more I began to have peace, but not peace that made me feel confident that my prayers would be answered, rather peace with any answer. My heart's desire began to change, and so did my request. I no longer just wanted another child. I wanted God's will for the growth of my family. My heart began to conform with the heart of my father. I started to want only what he wanted, all because I started to really tell him deep down what I wanted. I had found the grace to be open to his grace and was ready to accept his plan for our family, whatever it might be. There's something about spending time with God in prayer and honestly opening our desires up to him that gives him access and he will do this work in us where he will change our desires and and he will start to put our hearts in line with his heart. So you might say, I don't know if my desires are what they're supposed to be. I don't know if I'm asking what I'm supposed to ask. Well, just ask. Be honest before the Father and let him do that work that only he can do. He does that in prayer. Don't be afraid to be honest. Remember, he has infinite wisdom. He's not gonna give you something that's not good for you. He has that infinite wisdom. So be honest with that and allow him to change your desires. So what good do our prayers do? Well, our prayers allow us to participate in God's work that connects us to his power and changes us. God changes us. So our first motivation, turn that devil music off. Our first motivation (laughs) to not pray, not today, devil, not today. Our first motivation to not pray, that belief that prayer doesn't accomplish anything, Can anyone make that argument anymore? I don't think that argument has a leg to stand on, not against what the word of God reveals to us. But what's our second motivation that keeps us from praying? And this one, let me be very honest, this is a motivation that we might not know is there. This might be a motivation for us to not pray and we might not know it's there. We might be so self-deceived. And listen, I'm not pointing a finger at anyone. I'm pointing a finger at me. This self-deception lives in me. If not for the grace of God, this self-deception would rule me. But let's be honest and evaluate ourselves here. Here's the second motivation that keeps us from praying, I believe. We don't desire God, at least not like we think we do. We don't desire God like we think we do. What is prayer about? Prayer is about connecting to God, right? If you go to the Sermon on the Mount and look at Matthew chapter six, in verse five through six, we see this Jesus talking about people standing on the street corners so that they can be heard. And, and that's where they pray. They go out to, get, to let everyone hear their incredible prayers. And what, is, what does Jesus say? He says, don't pray like that. Don't pray on the street. What are you doing? Pray in secret. And what will happen? You'll meet with God there. Your father will hear you there. 
And so what's he saying? He's saying, look, prayer is not about you showing off. Prayer is about you connecting to the Father. It's about you and God. And then he goes on to say that in verse 7 through 8 that there are people who babble. The Gentiles babble and they think that God hears them because they say so many spiritual words. And they have all these rehearsed prayers and they sound really good. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Your prayer should be authentic. I don't want to hear all these words like God is not to be manipulated. He's not a genie that if you say the right words, you get what you want. It's authentic. It's about you talking to God, honestly communicating to God. And then in verse 9, he starts the Lord's Prayer. How does it start? Our Father. Prayer is first and foremost this intimate thing about you connecting to God. Jesus, when he went away to pray all the time, why did he go away to pray all the time? To connect to God. And prayer is about connecting with God. You know, in March of this year, Angela and I will celebrate our 11th wedding anniversary. Uh, We've been together. We started dating 15 years ago next month, which is almost uh, the majority of my life and soon will be. So far, so good. Um, And I, um, I desire her more than anything else. I don't desire anyone else more than I desire her. I don't desire anything more than I desire. There's nothing you could bring me that I would go, well, okay, take her, all right? Like there's nothing. I desire her more than anything. You don't have to coach me to get me to connect with her. I want to connect with her. I desire her more than anything else. You don't have to remind me, hey, Grant, when you get home, don't forget to tell her about your day. I want to tell her about my day. I want to connect with her. You don't have to remind me, hey, listen, this week you should probably like just spend some time with her. I want to spend time with her. I want to spend time with her way more than you. Just be sure of this. If you come up to me after the service and are talking to me, I would much rather you not be an Angela be standing there, all right? Let me just say that. I love you, but I don't love anybody like I love her. I desire her more than anything else. And so I want to connect with her. There's no problem there. There's no problem of us connecting. We're not disconnected. We're very connected. Why? Because I desire her more than anything else. And so I'll be connected to her. You don't have to coach me on that. And so that's what, here's what that reveals to me about my prayer problem. Usually my prayer problem is a desire problem. The reason I'm not connecting to God is because I don't want to. Something else has my affection. Something else has my attention. I don't connect to God in prayer because I desire a solution or I desire my intelligence to figure this problem out more than I desire him. So I'll figure it out. Let him stay over there. I'll figure out my own stuff. I don't pray because I desire to excel at work more than I desire him. I don't pray because I desire my children more than I desire him. I don't pray because I desire this sin more than I desire him. I don't, I don't pray because I desire whatever more than I desire him. And again, I think that usually our prayer problem is a desire problem. And to solve our prayer problem, we need to solve our desire problem. We need God to do a revival in our lives. We need God to do a revival in our hearts. You know, this, uh, so Sunday through Wednesday, I guess it officially started Monday, but we left on Sunday. So Monday through Wednesday, we were in the Georgia Dome with 50,000 plus people worshiping Jesus together. That's a big deal. That'll get you fired up, right? Like that'll be, that's the spiritual jump start a lot of us needed, right? 
And so in that moment of just hearing all these people, we're singing to the Lord, everything's about the Lord. We're listening to this, this preaching that's all about exalting Jesus. Anywhere we went and we're spending time with people, we're spending time with other people who are serious about the Lord. And so I'm telling you what, coming back from passion, my desire problem is not a problem right now. I desire him more than anything else. I've been connected to him more. God did this revival in my heart. So my prayer life right now, going good. Why? Because my desire problem's been fixed. I, I've, I've been refocused on what the Lord on who the Lord is, and I want him more than I want anything else. And so I'll spend time with him. And so again, I, I think if, if we have a prayer problem, then we need to probably examine our desires. What has our desires? What has our affections? What do we want more than him? Because it's gotta be something, whether it's comfort or I wanna sleep later or I, I want entertainment more than I want him. What is it that you desire more than him? So I'm gonna ask Christian and, and, and our worship band to come back up and I want us to close with a time of examining our hearts um, to, that, that God would begin to work a revival in our hearts. And would you pray with me? I wanna pray for you as we begin to respond. Jesus, we certainly don't like to admit it. I certainly don't like to admit it, but it's certainly been true for me and probably true for some people in this room today, that our prayer problem is a desire problem. That God, other things have our heart's attention, other things have our heart's affection. And so God, we don't desire you like we should. And so God, we wanna admit this morning our helplessness here. I can't fix my desire problem. They can't fix their desire problem. You have to. So God, that's what we're asking for this morning. We're gonna sing a song of surrender. A song of confession and a song of surrender. And so God, as we sing this song, that's what we're singing. Revive our hearts. Refocus our desires. sit in that number one spot in our life again. Lord, I love to sing that song to you to turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. God, we're gonna look right at you now and we're gonna ask that all these things that have stolen our desire, stolen our attention, stolen our affection, would you reveal them to us now as they really are? Which is not even worth, not even worth comparing to the greatness and fullness of joy in you. Would we see them as the garbage they are? May we see them as frail as they are as weak as they are next to an infinitely powerful, infinitely gracious, infinitely loving, infinitely merciful Savior who gave his life for us. Would you do a revival in our hearts? Fix our desire problem. God, we want you. 
We want you this morning. We want you. Amen.